everything bass fishing. Coming to you worldwide from MegaWing Keelguard Studios. Here we go. We're back for another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Hello, everybody. Here we are. Man, it's it's great to uh, have you all back for another episode, as I mentioned. Uh, man, before we get started, go ahead and click that subscribe button on YouTube uh, or on your favorite streaming platform. Make sure you subscribe. We uh, obviously never want you to miss another informative episode right here of Bass Edge Radio. Man, episode number 399, this May 1st edition. Man, huge shout out as always to MegaWare Keelguard. Um, obviously, we're always trying to continue to provide anglers with, uh, you know, their favorite boat accessories, particularly the uh, do-it-yourselfer keel guard from MegaWare. Um, and they have uh, so many great products. You can see them all at keelguard.com. Wow. Per usual, crazy springtime action going on here in the bass fishing world. I mean, over the last two weeks, we have crowned new champions uh, on the Elite Series, Drew Benton, over at Lake Murray. Of course, with the MLF Invitationals, we've got Kelly Jordan um, winning that uh, event at Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma. Ben Milliken takes home the BASS Open event out there at Toledo Bend. And uh, Jake Lawrence on Kentucky Lake. Conrad Demickis, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, but he was out there on the California Delta taking the win. And most recently, Brody Campbell absolutely crushed the field by double-digit weight uh, over second place out there at Lake Chickamauga in the uh, MLF Toyota Series events. So, um, man, it's it's been a wild time, as always. A very, very interesting way that things, you know, come to fruition for these champions, and it's, it's fun to hear about. Um, currently, as we tape this episode, uh, just a couple days here before, uh, May 1, the BASS Elite Series is competing right now on Santee Cooper. Matt Robinson came out of the gate big time there at Lake Murray. Now he's back out of the gate huge after a couple days on Santee. So we'll see how that kind of shakes out in the MLF Bass Pro Tour Anglers in a special event, uh, the Heavy Hitters event. Pretty cool, pretty cool event, man. They pay out a ton of money on that deal. But um, that's going on near the city of Monroe, uh, Impoundments, Caney Creek, and Bussy Break. If you'll remember last spring, they were there very early in the year. Caught a lot of huge fish. They're catching some decent fish this year, but, but definitely we can see uh, that transition. They must be kind of more in that little post-spawny phase. I know they caught a couple of sight fish early in the event. But uh, things seem to be a little bit tougher out there for that tournament. So it'll be fun to see how that breaks down. Randy Howe going into the lead in the championship round. And uh, Dakota Ebear, too. I mean, that guy's catching them everywhere he goes. He's uh, sitting in second place heading into that championship round. So it'll be fun to watch that over these next couple days. We'll we'll see those winners as this uh, podcast air on the 1st of May. 
Let's see, man, a few highlights. You know, I love to mention out of these events, things that I'm learning, hopefully things that uh, you can also take away from these events. In the last podcast, we mentioned the Lake Murray uh, BASS Elite Series event and how we could learn from the MLF Bass Pro Tour event that took place just a few weeks prior. Uh, that event took place the first week of April. Uh, I think it was the second through the fifth, somewhere in that ballpark. But the Elite Series event happened uh, April 20th through about the 23rd. And being able to see kind of the transition of how the events took place. Are the bass behavior patterns moving really fast? Are they moving slow? Uh, what can we learn about spawning bass, about the herring spawn, about um, you know fish guarding fry, these types of things? If you remember in the MLF event, there were several anglers that felt like you know the spawning fish were concluding and they were running out of them. Uh, what was neat to see is you saw a new wave came uh, to the banks in this Elite Series event several weeks later. And uh, actually, Drew Benton, who won the event, uh, concentrated on sight fish the first couple days. Then he kind of transitioned into more of a herring spawn and, and um, that, that type of pattern as the event progressed. But uh, and it's really neat to see how, you know, on a particular lake, the phases of bass behavior continue to evolve. Uh, especially through the springtime when most of us are out there on the water. I mean, it is the time to catch big fish throughout the country uh, as the spring progresses, whether you're in, in Texas where I'm at at Lake Amistad or, or New York's still a little bit chilly, but I, but I see a bunch of my friends getting on the water up there. But they can also learn from this and see how uh, through the south to the north this whole you know, spring behavior pattern progresses. And, and it's really cool to see also with the, uh, you know, shad spawn and the herring spawn and, uh, you know, several lakes with this fry garter situation. But we're going to talk more about that here in a minute. Um, man, the uh, <clears throat> forward-facing sonar continues to be just a, a giant killer. And uh, some neat things I've seen this week were, or, or the last couple weeks Number one, probably the coolest thing I saw was Tyler Rivette uh, with the BASS Elite Series on Lake Murray. He was catching fry garters on forward-facing sonar. He would see the ball of fry garters in five, six feet and uh, be able to target those fry. And then he would catch the bass that was guarding those fry. Man, that was, that was probably one of the neatest things I saw over the last couple weeks, but... But we also had an angler, Jake Lawrence, uh, at the Kentucky Lake Toyota Series event, and he dialed in spawning smallmouth with his forward-facing sonar. So that was pretty amazing, too. And the cool thing is he is going to be here with us later on in this episode as our featured angler. So we're going to hear a lot from Jake Lawrence today and how he was able to become the champion of the Toyota, MLF Toyota Series there on Kentucky Lake. I mean, it's just really unreal how, how technology continues to evolve through anglers learning how to capitalize on, on the potential that, that forward-facing sonar technology provides them. Um, I'd be adverse, man, if I didn't give a quick shout-out to, uh, obviously, Kelly Jordan winning that MLF Invitational, Lake Eufaula, Oklahoma, and, and also Drew Benton. Both of their wins come from behind wins on the final day. 
Kelly was back almost six pounds to uh, Ron Nelson, who was leading that event. And then, of course, Drew Benton. I believe he was in 10th place going into the final day, down about five pounds at Lake Murray in that Elite Series event. And uh, both of those come out on top as champions. And for, for me as a competitor, uh, it's refreshing to be reminded that, that you're kind of never out of an event. As long as you're in the event, whether it's day one, two, three, four, however long that tournament is, man, if you have faith, kind of believe in that process, um, it, it's, it's possible to make some things happen. And uh, man, you know, from a competitive standpoint, that is always super, super positive. So um, I tell you what, we're going to get ready here. Um, we're going to get right into the meat of this episode. Our showcase segment, a friend of mine, Rick Harris from Texas Hill Country Hammer. Obviously a successful MLS Toyota Pro and a guide. We're going to get his perspective on some little things he thinks is super important right here in the showcase section right after this message. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So choose the protection the pros pick. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. The MegaWare Keel Guard is made tough and made to stick. Install it yourself in less than an hour. Providing the most dependable, most trusted protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Insist on the original Keel Guard the pros have picked for 25 years. MegaWare Keel Guard. A rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champions. Where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast. A pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion within. All right, welcome back to Bass Edge Radio, the showcase segment with my man, Rick Harris. What's up, Mr. Rick? How up, you man? doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. How you been doing? Been good. Just guiding every day, just out living the dream. That's the way to do it, man. Living the dream, uh, so important for all of us here at Bass Edge Radio. That's what we're trying to do is live the dream uh, through a podcast at the moment, uh, outside of uh, fishing, of course. But uh, let's break it down for us, Rick. Um, man, you've got a great perspective. Uh, little things, right? Uh, you've, you've, got to, you've got to deal. First, before we get into little things, uh, which is going to be, you know, our subject on today's yeah. showcase. Um, let's talk about Hill Country Hammer a little bit, man. I know that you guys are in your uh, chasing the uh, what's it? I th- remind me what it's, it's chasing the bite. Yeah, the bite. Chasing the bite. So, uh, man, I know that this is a springtime deal for you guys at Hill Country Hammer right now. Uh, I believe you're at OH Ivy running down some sight fish. How is that going, man? I've seen some big bass. Yeah, it's going great. We've been here since about March, and, you know, we got hit with a bunch of cold fronts in March, so the spawn really didn't start for us until about April. So we've been in about three weeks now. I think we have four or five teenagers already. Uh, I think maybe nine or ten over, you know, ten. So it's wow. been a really good – yeah, and we're just – 
when we do this, it's like a hunt. We're just on these platforms. We put on our boats to just strictly go sight fishing for a day or two, just after one or two fish. And, and it's cool. been fun, man. And it's kind of cool. Early, early in the show, I heard you talk about fry garters and the stages. And I've noticed since being here for three weeks that fry starting to pop up. There's fry garter gizzard chat are starting to come in to spawn bluegill are about to stage to spawn so everything's happening but there's still fish coming up to spawn very cool very cool so so uh if if, if i'm looking at at a possible trip with hill country hammer i can expect to not maybe do a whole lot of fishing right now but do a whole lot of looking what am i looking for to find some of these big bass and what's the biggest one you've put a client on or your group has put a client on here in the last couple weeks so to book with us man chase the bite we do strictly sight fishing like i said just hunting but we, we do trips throughout the summer and fall and winter regular fishing so we still do that too but we you know kind of really focus on a giant bass fishing trip we call it trophy trip okay and uh you know we're just looking out sight fishing flats uh point you know just anywhere they would spawn actually lately now they've just been on main lake it's okay. like the flats in the back of pockets aren't happening so main lake has been the deal and we actually like three days ago put one of our clients on a 1485 that's the biggest bass we've ever put in the boat and it's a really cool story it's one of our clients that's been with us a long time leroy boss he's uh his dream was to catch a 13 and he spent he's not kidding about it quarter million dollars over 25 to 30 years chasing a teenage bass and he got one with us a few years ago and he never thought he'd catch another one he comes out with us again and he catches a 1485 man that is that is exciting i know with all your guiding uh man it's hillcountryhammer.com is that the is that the site that people yeah, can go Country, up there guidesandoutfitters.com you can find us on facebook instagram and just hit us up to book a trip very cool. Very cool. I know that being out with your guide clients, um, you see a lot of things. You see a lot of anglers. You meet a lot of people uh, in all aspects of their fishing experience. Some, uh, you know, more beginner, some, you know, experts, right? That like this gentleman that was out for, you know, many, many years trying to catch this teener. Um, we were talking the other day and I thought this would be a really neat subject to, to uh you know, kind of get out there for the Bass Edge uh, listener population. And that is the little things that you feel like can make a big difference for an angler's success. And and some of it is fundamentals. Uh, and a lot, I'll say a lot of it is fundamentals. But, but these are all things that you feel like are sometimes ignored by anglers. But if they could just pay attention to a couple of these subject matters, then they'll provide them a better uh, fishing experience. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, call it cool. Things. It's just little things that you can control to, you know, throughout the day to make your fishing experience better and get more fish in the boat, not lose fish. Uh, and, and it's never, you're always learning this stuff too. It never really, there's nothing in this that's really set in stone because it changes a little, but you know, the fundamentals are there for sure. All right. Well, let's run through some of these subjects that, that uh, you kind of brought up to me the other day that I feel like are, are some of the important subjects we should we should uh, kind of let the listeners know in the showcase. Somebody. First is line knots. Um, uh, hitting single fish versus pulling fish with trebles. And you've got a thought process there. Tell us what it is and, and what's the important aspect of your hook application. Yeah, so basically... Excuse me. 
excuse me, your your line knots in this situation. Yeah, knots. So like, I like if I'm flipping or hitting them with braid or a frog or a swim bait, and I'm setting the hook hard. I just like a regular polymer. Just okay. meat potatoes polymer. It's not going to break. Hold it can hold that impact. You know, especially with braid polymer, hundred percent of the time. And you know, it's just it's my confidence knot. It's easy to tie. And if, if I'm hitting them, I'm tying a polymer. Okay. So you're sitting over a 10-pounder, a 20-pound fluorocarbon. What's your knot preference? Yeah, polymer. Polymer. Straight. Got it. Okay. Just want to make, make it clear what just braid, but also you're talking about fluoro in those situations. How about pulling fish with trebles? Is that a different knot that you're using? Yeah. And, and what other kind of knots do you use in your fishing? Yeah, and it's, it's not just with trebles. If I'm leaning into them... With, you know, like a Thunder Cricket or, you know, 1.5 or anything with trebles on them, TVL 930s, high boost, it makes a great treble hook. But anything with that, top waters, I'm just leaning into them. I tie, it's called a, it's like a, San, I guess it's called a San Diego Jammer. Okay. It's just, uh, you know, you wrap up, wrap down and, and pull it. It's not complicated at all. It's an easy, quick knot. And I use that for when I'm leaning into them. If I'm hitting them, I don't use that knot. I'll probably slip and break, but leaning into them, it's great. I've caught, I think, a 12-pounder on a chatterbait on it and stuff like that, so it's it's good. All right, well, as soon as we get off this YouTube podcast, we'll go and look up the San Diego Jam uh, right. knot. So, all right, next up, you felt that gear ratio was really, really important as well. Let's talk about the different types of gear ratios you use to have your success out there when you're guiding. Yeah, I keep it simple. I really do, you know, I don't go super, super high, and I don't go super, super low. I, I stick to three, a 6-3 to 1, a 7-5 to 1, an 8 to 1. It's just if I'm reeling a crankbait or, you know, a swim bait or a spinner bait, I like mm -hmm. that 6-3. Gotcha. If I'm, you know, frogging, topwater, you know, thunder cricket, you know, I like that seven five moving anything in grass. I like a seven five. Cool. Casting the worm, flipping anything like that. I like a high speed eight eight to one. And and you like the eight to one in those situations just because you're reeling that slack line. Yeah, you you you're keeping up with the bait. You can get the bait in faster for another cast. And usually, if they're hitting it slack line or, or you know, and even if you know you're missing a lot a lot of fish because of that, because I've had mm -hmm. a situation. Down at Omstar guiding, I was fishing a swim bait on a 6-3. And they'd hit it so hard, I couldn't catch up with them. So wow. I bumped up to a 7-5, and I landed almost every one of them. So that's how critical a gear ratio can be sometimes. And making those changes. Super critical, yes. too. That's that's great information. All right, we're going to go into rod action real quick. Uh, just on this little piece, let's let's go with rod action. Uh Give, give us a couple scenarios when you like, you know, kind of more that medium or, or maybe even a composite versus a medium heavy or heavy action fiberglass. Yeah, you know, medium and med you know, that anything with a little treble hook or a little thin hook, you want a medium action rod. You're not okay. going to bend the hook out. It doesn't take a lot of pressure to penetrate into the fish. So medium heavy is fine. And usually with the medium, you're, you're going to be real setting. And you're just going to reel as fast as you can and lean. Got now it. with a heavy action rod, it's going to be usually a single hook bait. And you're going to be trying to break the rod on every hook set. Okay. And, I, and, you know, guiding and doing the kids camp, Kurt Dose Pro Bass Camp down at Amstead. I, I've seen 
you know, just the wrong setups and, and a lot of missed fish because of this. So that's what we're trying to do and teaching the kids and clients into using the right rod action. Yeah, I think it's important to even practice those hook sets and, and understand what, what the difference is between pulling into them or really crossing their eyes. Like you say, trying to almost break the rod when you set into them because it's it's so important to to get that you know fish hooked well or to uh, utilize the right rod action in order to keep the fish pinned, bring it to the boat. So I, I think those are all great, great uh, fundamentals that, that sometimes can go, you know, unnoticed you know you tie on a lure or something real quick in an event it will you know if you just take that extra you know minute or two to put it on the right rod the right action maybe the right line which which we're going to get into here in a minute it's it's going to allow an angler to catch more fish and, and yeah, uh, it, it can make fun. a difference whether it's a club tournament a toyota tournament or yeah. a series event right or a guide trip like i out here on ivy when we're bed fishing for these giants I ask people, can you set the hook good? And they say, yes. I'm like, okay, well, I flip my bait out in 30 foot and I let it sink and I give them the rod and I tell them, let me see your hook set. And I, they got to jack it as hard as they can oh. before we can go fishing. So I know so they can set the hook. Yeah, that's cool to, to make sure they have that fundamental because you don't want them to miss that big, that big exactly. fish when you guys are chasing. And when they're spending the money to find that big fish too, it's really important. <laughs> All right, hooks. We're going to go into hooks. Uh, again, real quick on this. You mentioned how a lot of anglers just don't change hooks often enough. Yeah, I've noticed that. Like, Then again, to these bedfish, I, if I catch a double digit or bigger on a hook, it is done. I put it away. I give it to the client usually. <laughs> right. Yeah, like we're hitting these fish with big flipping stick braid. That's a giant fish that we really don't catch much. Like no, we don't catch 10, like nobody catches 10 pounders every day, you right. know? So I, I want them to have the most opportunity to catching that fish in a brand new hook every day, pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, or just throughout the day, you're dragging, you know, worm and rock or something like that. Your hook gets bent or, you know, the tip right. gets bent or just wore out or, or you stick a bunch of fish, you catch 50 a day, you know, right. you need to change that hook out. I had a, toyota event on rayburn this year and i was i was throwing a red eye shad mm -hmm. and i would change my hooks once or twice a day throughout the day of the event because i felt them they weren't super sticky so i change them out just so i have a better opportunity of catching a fish very cool great great advice uh we got two more things left one is fishing line and the other is stance uh let's hit fishing line real fast um i know that you generally like to use a little bit heavier equipment uh, in that category than than most but yet at the same time when you're fishing up north fishing smallies you downsize real effectively as well what's your guideline for the correct fishing line yeah so if i'm finesse fishing if there's a spinning rod in my hand it's usually six to ten uh you know six pound is very rare for me but i do it on those calm slick days mm -hmm. a lot of pressure you know that six pound really does make a difference but I usually go eight to 10, like on a drop shot or a Ned rig um, or, you know, the light line. If it's casting, I cast a hair jig up there a lot and it's really okay. light. So I dumb down to that six pound and just get the bait out there. Gotcha. And then on just, you know, conventional fishing with a, a bait caster, you know, it's pretty much about depth. You know, if you want that bait deep, like a, you know, six XD or 10 XD, 12 pounds, the deal. Uh, if you're cranking, I like 14 kind of, from a 1.5 to 2.5 square bill, 14's my go-to. 
And then I really skip 15 and 16 and 17. I go straight to 18. On That's what much, I'm talking about. You like that bigger I'm, stuff. And pretty much everything else, I go to 18 and 20 and 25. You know, yeah. I just, if I'm flipping super thick cover, wood, docks, 25 is definitely on, on my jig or, or my Texas rig flipping. And then, you know, re- reeling a thunder cricket or a swim bait through grass or wood, it's, it's 18 or 20. I keep it really simple with line. Very good information. Again, this is probably the most unique thing we talked about the other night. And uh, we both agreed that this is something that's overlooked by a lot of anglers. And that is stance. And how particularly you mentioned you like to approach standing on the front of the boat in the trolling motor to make sure you're in a good position to land bass. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I see it, you know, a lot of times guiding or, or with the kids at the camp, you know, they'll they'll be throwing one way and their hips and shoulders are the other way. So mm-hmm. if they get a bite, they're not, they're, they're setting the hooks with their arm, you know. And, you know, when I set the hook, I, I use my shoulders, my back, my hips, my legs, you know, to just try to drive that hook. But, you know, a, a rule of thumb that I like to do, if I'm going down a bank and I'm casting to the left side, I'm using my right foot to control the trolling motor. Okay. Your stance is there. Your shoulders are squared up with the bait, you know, and then if you're fishing the right side, you're controlling the trolling motor with your left. Just so you always have good stance and square up on that fish, like hips and shoulders and, and, and give her the juice. I just see it so many times where big fish are lost because a hook wasn't driven right. Yeah. And that's something that we control. So might as well do, do the best you can at it. Absolutely. Fundamentals, control the controllable variables, um, do what you can to, to put yourself in the best position to uh, be successful out there on the water. Of course, that's uh, crazy important. Rick, you got any uh, final thoughts? Man, this has been a great showcase segment. Um, any, any final thoughts for Bass Edge Nation anglers out there? Uh, not only with just, you know, kind of this, this uh, topic of the little things, but uh, just anything in general, what do, you, what do you got for us to close out this uh, showcase segment? Man, I, like, you know, I was on Bass Edge last year, I, around this time, and I just, yeah. I've been listening to Bass Edge since I started fishing. It was <laughs> yeah. like, first thing I listened to, I think I've listened to every episode. So being on Bass Edge is really cool. I've known you forever. Absolutely. And what you're doing, you know, getting the live going on YouTube is really cool. So, you know, you guys are always stepping it up. And, uh, you know, just final thoughts, you know, pretty much i i really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do this and chatting out my guide service hill country ham, hammers guides and outfitters you know if you want to come catch a giant bass hit us up man it's a trophy trip it's a big hunt we're already booking into next year so dates are going quick that's great to hear rick there's a reason why you're on this time of year not that you don't catch good bass throughout the year but uh man y'all catch giants right now 14 pounder i know i've seen at least six double digit bass over the last 14 days that you've caught your clients mate and those are just the ones i know about on on social media that i'm i can just recall immediately so uh Man, it, it's a great system, a great program, a great team effort that you guys have going down there at Hill Country Hammers. We love to hear about how you're doing this. And uh, most importantly, we really like to hear um, how every weekend angler can use this information, remind them of the fundamentals, keep their game sharp, improve on these little things. 
Man, y'all stay tuned. We're going to let Rick go, but we're going to be back with MLF Toyota Series champion Jake Lawrence and the featured angler spotlight. Bass Edge Radio continues. Rick Harris, thank you very much, brother. Take care. Thanks, Eric. Later, man. Come on, man. Let's roll. What the? To catch the fish, you need to be one with the fish. With PowerPole shallow water anchors, you'll get the ultimate in precision, power, and control so you can catch more fish. No face paint or phony fins necessary. Excessive shock and vibration are two leading causes for premature battery failure. Prolong the life of your batteries with the new MegaWare Battery Guard. The Battery Guard sits under your battery and absorbs excessive vibration and bounce, reducing G-Shock by up to 80%. Great for boats or anywhere shock and vibration can damage a battery. The Battery Guard can easily be trimmed to fit virtually any custom shape or battery size. Save money by protecting your batteries. Spend more time on the water and less on maintenance. Find yours at MegaWare.com. Right here we are. We're back, and it's time for the angler spotlight. This go around, we're with an angler I was able to meet many, many years ago, way back in his college days. Jake Lawrence, an absolute student of the sport. Um, man, I'm so happy to see his success times two. He's he's been he's had he's had it twice, man. He's uh, he's got a 50-50 record on the uh, MLF tournament organizations. I mean, entered four events. Jake, you've won two. <laughs> won two out of four. Man, appreciate you hanging out with us here on Bass Edge Radio. Dude, what an honor. It's been uh, you know, again to watch uh watch the show forever and uh, to be here. Super cool. So, I appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, my brother. Well, you earned it. There's no question about it. You earned it before, and uh, and and now you've earned it two times, and and it's uh, it's gonna be fun to chat with you, kind of reminisce a little bit, man. Yeah. I uh, I remember meeting you. Man, it's been ten years ago. Uh, we had to text back and forth a little bit, kind of jog my memory, probably jog yours a little bit. But you're a little younger than I am, so maybe not quite as much. But uh, man, uh, we met out there on the James River in Virginia. Uh, we met through a good friend, uh, an old friend, Ben Parker, used to be a uh, BASS Elite Series angler. You were in college. You reminded me. Well, I remember that Ray Brazier was staying with us there at the hotel as well. And uh, you reminded me you were one of the first college anglers, one of the first young anglers to uh, ever attend Bethel University on a fishing scholarship. And that's that's been yeah. a little while, but two, 2012... Uh, tell me a little bit about that, brother. What an opportunity. You know, the, the there had been college fishing for, you know, three or four years, a number of years, but just at the club level, no one, uh, no one meaning any school had really taken a serious look at, um, you know, at this uh, from a, uh, a scholarship level, so to speak, right. uh, and really incorporating it into um, their athletic program and, and for Bethel to do that here, um, actually fairly local within 60 miles of the house here, uh, uh, at Bethel university, McKenzie, Tennessee. Uh, and to have that opportunity was so cool. I mean, again, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll get into it. I, I was very fortunate. A ton of things have led up to where I am now. And, 
but but Gary Mason and, and the staff there at Bethel to give all of us, not just myself, but all of us the opportunity to to get an education, obviously, first and foremost. That's what right. we're there. But to be able to travel around, uh, fortunately, on their dime uh, and, and <laughs> learn, be able to, to experience new bodies of water and, and, and new uh, situations and circumstances that we wouldn't have. It's, it's certainly changed. We've seen the change just over the last five or six years and what it's done. And, and I'm certainly a part of that. So it's really, really neat. Absolutely, man. A pioneer uh, part of that. And you uh, shout out to Ray Brazier as well. Uh, Ray, I don't think is involved in that anymore. He used to be involved with Charlie Ingram over there at the fishing university as well. Uh, Ray has been all over this fishing industry, and uh, to have him be a part of those early years with you at Bethel, I'm sure was was a, a tremendous asset, and uh, he probably taught you a lot about the industry as well. I, I know that you guys were close, or you wouldn't have been, you know, kind of close traveling together as well. Is that is that correct? Him and and, and, and Gary Mason uh, both were were very, and Kenny Loudon as well were very okay. interesting for a lot of people, of course, behind the scenes. Uh, always is to make something. Um, you know, kind of that big and, 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 um, you know, there, I want to say the, the first year it was just three of us. Uh, and I want to say by the second year, there were 19 or 20 of us. So it was very wow. quickly, uh, taking hold. And, and now, um, my goodness, there's a line waiting. It, it's <laughs> the license plates. And, and, uh, I, of course I live very fortunate. We live just down the road from the, the Marina here. So I kind of make a little pass through there when I'm not on the trip and, and it's neat to see wherever the, everybody's from. And, and a lot of those guys are, are going to school over there. So really yeah, cool. Yeah. And you see a lot of great Bethel anglers out there, you know, working to try to make that next step into uh, the Elite Series or, or the Bass Pro Tour. And uh, a lot of a lot of Bethel anglers having success. So it was cool to see. You know, doesn't surprise me it grew so quickly. Uh Anybody giving out scholarships for fishing, like, dude, I'd, I'd have been all over that <laughs> in, a, in a heartbeat. So that's uh, that's cool to see. You know, when I do some stat review, I remember your win there at Kentucky Lake. I think that win was kind of more mid-lake area uh, around your hometown of Paris. Correct. Uh, th- this, this most recent win up north, we're going to get into that a little bit. But when I do some stat research on Jake Lawrence... Uh, you know, outside of, you know, some of that college participation, I know you did really well in a wild card. You fished some of those national championships. Um, mm-hmm. You haven't fished a whole lot of MLF or BASS events outside of that. But like I mentioned in the opening, you've won two MLF Toyota events. How have you honed your craft through the years since college that's kind of put you in this uh, situation that you've been pretty dang successful at that AAA level? I appreciate it. You know, it's 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 an ever evolving uh, process, of course. But I, I've really stayed on the water a ton, although I've not been fishing um, national scale tournaments, so to speak. You know, your Toyotas and your Bass Opens. Um, I, I've still been fishing. In fact, I've fished more in the last five years than I, I probably ever have. In fact, I, outside of someone that lives a little further south than I, I, I don't know anyone that has fished more than I have. I, <laughs> a tremendous amount of time out there. And, and really the way, um, so, so what I'm doing and what I've been doing for the last couple of years is, is really dialing people in on their electronics. I, I, I'll be more than happy to take someone out and, um, you know, uh, go chase a smallmouth or, or, or go try to catch a big largemouth or, or even some crappie. But really what I want to do uh, is, is stay more on the educational side. And, and really there are so many people out there 
that have so much invested into these electronics. And that's great. But until you understand uh, what that is and what it's capable of doing, what it um, what it will show you. And in fact, what it is showing you, you really don't have much there. And so I've really found a niche here kind of in the Tennessee River Valley, so to speak. I I travel quite a bit. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of part of my learning process. I've catered Mm kind of do that for for that purpose of learning. Um, but, but that's really what I've done in the last five or six years is, is cater to the guys that, uh, whether it be forward facing sonar side or down imaging, you know, Ben Parker was a, a huge mentor of mine very early on. I, I, I guess I've known him since I was 10 or 11 years old and, and we really struck it off. He's several years older than I am. And, and, um, so it was a really cool interesting dynamic i I was um always from a a little bitty squirt um kind of into this (laughs) natural talent or uh, ability i guess i'd say that but but i've always worked really hard at it and i guess he saw that in me and and was um able to take me under his wing and kind of guide me along and and it really got to the point where we were fishing partners yet we never actually fished in the boat together kind of what i alluded to the other night it was more of a competition of uh, that was in the kind of the glory days of the side and, and, and down imaging. And we would go out in separate boats and more or less kind of see how many schools each one of us found, you know, new schools, new places that we'd never seen them. And so for him to give me that opportunity to kind of follow suit with him and, uh, you know, some of the bait things, the designs and, and some of that was really, really astronomically uh, or really helpful and, and, and astronomical in my growing days and, and, and still am of course, but yeah, it's really, so, really to, to see, uh, you know, what Ben's, uh, w- was able to do there. And, and, and I, I hope that I, um, can take that and, and kind of run with it, I guess, so to speak. Sure. Sure. I, I remember, um, I, I actually went out with Ben, you know, I, I remember Ben Parker, he was kind of that, early you know the ledge fishing uh legendary at that time on kentucky lake and uh he was so good at the electronics and just being able to read shade differences to find hard bottoms whether there was maybe a school there or not at that particular moment you were learning more about just what color differences really showed you on your side scan and and down scan for that matter and uh, I remember you at that time again as, as alluded to before you know being a student of the sport and and you being able to uh, be mentored by Ben and, and so folks that don't know who Ben Car- Parker is uh, not only from the electronic standpoint but got to give a shout out to him for the uh, nickel spoon that Ben started that was the giant uh, 12 inch spoon. Um, so, so, uh, Ben's been a, uh, I don't know about, he, he's been a part of that ledge fishing, uh, culture for many, many years and, and very cool, Jake, to see you kind of come through that and, and probably not only just learn from Ben, but learn with Ben, it sounds like at the same time. So, um, is, uh, obviously I, I kind of followed, uh, you know, in his shadows there, but, but so many days we would come in and over dinner, uh, you know, me being a freshman or sophomore in college, uh, we would sit down and learn from each other. And that's really yeah. what it's all about. And that's, to me, I enjoy reeling in a bass. I, I, I enjoy the bite. I enjoy the fight, the, the whole process. But to me, when you see me really get excited is when, okay. I, when I figure something out or I, uh, like last week, when I understand what's going on, at least at that given moment. 
that's when I uh, get excited. And that's what I'm really there for. That's what I live for. And uh, like so to be able to do that together. And, and really, we did. We learned a lot together uh, in those couple of years. Well, what were some of those keys to those early understandings of, you know, how to find fish there on Kentucky Lake? Uh, what, what are maybe some of your highlights or, you know, aha, you know, kind of moments that you can share with our listeners that really set you on to this, this uh, next level and, and really, you know, just kind of putting you in position to continue to progress maybe to even where you are today? Correct, correct. You know, there's there's so many, but uh, one, and it's it's really I, I was uh, it's really more about Ben than it was uh, was myself, but I I was certainly part of it. But I, I'll never forget when Ben, uh, I want to say it was the old Hummingbird 997 models uh, when that side imaging had just come out, and he was one of the very first to to even own one. Uh, but th- he kind of set out, and and Ben is um, um a very one dimensional when he gets something on his mind, you better not get in his way. Kind of <laughs> figure it out. And, and he said, I'm going to figure out what these bass look like out here until, you know, prior to that point, uh, most good ledge fishermen would tie on a deep diving crankbait and, and triangulate even prior to, to mapping would triangulate and find these little corners and these little Creek ditches. But we would find it by, instead of side imaging with a deep diving crankbait, one, it's a great reaction bait. It's uh, a great bait to throw in these schools, uh, but you can cover a tremendous amount of water. Not near as much with, you know, with the big motor idling at three or four miles an hour. But but back in those days, that was the best way to do it. So we had that way of doing it, but he really wanted to take it a step further. And I remember mm-hmm. being so deflated for a week or 10 days coming in and not catching anything. You just can't figure out, you know, idle over a big blob of something. He turned around and throw in it. Uh, long story short, he's, I, I'll never forget, we were sitting over dinner one night, and, and I had school, uh, I had class the next morning, and and he said, uh, he said, man, i tell you what, he said, I'm going to turn this off, he said, tomorrow I'm going to go out, and I'm going to tie on my BD7, and I'm going to go until I catch three bass on three consecutive casts, and I'm going to put my rod down and idle over it and see what it is, and I'll never forget, he called me about 9.30 that morning, couldn't even, he was so ecstatic, he couldn't even talk. And I, I don't think that I ever told anybody. I'm, my grandparents are actually in the other room here. Probably shouldn't say this, but I actually got up out of class, never said a word, and drove straight up here with no rods, no reels, nothing. I just had to see it. I knew from the sound of his voice that we'd figured it out, or he had, rather. And really, from there, you know, that just became an obsession to me. Once I realized that there was more or less an open field out there, there were, I mean, there were literally schools on this lake that, didn't see a bait until we wanted to throw one in it. I mean, mm. it and to be on the, the front end of that, I, I kind of saw that coming, uh, knew kind of where I was in it. And so I, I really spent as much time as I could out there. And, and, you know, again, it's always, that's the fun thing about fishing is you never really understand it all the way. You never, just about the time you think you've kind of figured this out, they'll throw you some crazy curveball and you start back square one. So, um, you know, it's always a learning uh, process, but, but that was certainly cool to kind of be on the front end of it, kind of ahead of a lot of people there. Yeah, and and, and that's what we call the sport of bass fishing. <laughs> so so uh, you just came off a uh, wire-to-wire win, uh, actually on the north end, although the north end is the lower end of Kentucky Lake, targeting smallmouth bass, a species not generally um, nationally known from this impoundment. Uh, first off is... Uh, 
you know, let, let's talk a little bit first about the shape of Kentucky Lake and Barkley Lake. We know that they went into a funk based on the uh, Asian carp invasion um, several years back. W- what's the shape of the fishery? And then we'll, then we'll dive into uh, this tournament experience that you recently had. Absolutely. Let's, let's kind of back up just, uh, just okay. a hair put out, um, uh, you know, that, that this is just my opinion and, and I am certainly not uh, a biologist, a marine biologist, or, or really know any more than just uh, my personal experiences from, from, you know, spending quite a bit of time out here. What I really feel like happened, this has been several years ago, um, but, you know, we certainly had an overabundance of carp uh, for it, a, 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 call it a four or five period uh, there, year period. Uh, and it put a stress on the ecosystem and it was not, I, I don't really want to even say that the carp were the direct cause of kind of the downward cycle. Um, I, I really feel like it put uh, a, a point of pressure on the lake where environmentally it was easy for something to throw it off. In, in other words, you know, um, and it inevitably happened. We had a, a really mild winter and in February and March, I guess it was five ago we had a really really cold uh spell there got single digits and we had a big shad kill and it really took kind of wiped out the bottom end of uh, of the ecosystem and uh i feel like there's no question that the carp were i would call it more of an indirect um you know reason for that just due to the overabundance and kind of the biomass so to speak but but the lake since then has really rebounded it's it's taken you know it probably took two years for the the shad population there for a period, we didn't have any gizzards or any thread fin. We had um, emerald shiners, which is really a kind of a new thing to us here. I guess we've always had them, but not in any um, abundance, so to speak, nothing that you would ever target. And it really changed the, uh, the whole system, the whole chain. And you noticed a, a lot of the guys, uh, you know, there's not a lot of ledge fishing anymore, at least not right now. Right. I think a fish kind of transitioned over to the bluegill and and again these little emerald shiners which are hmm. still somewhat of a mystery to me but they're very um pelagic i guess they're they're a lot more nomadic they, they don't act anything like a thread pin or gizzard don't really care what's under them so to speak and uh so it changed the dynamic of the lake but over the last two years uh we've really seen the thread fin and the gizzard populations come back and and it's funny to see where we are now, you know, the, the constant ebb and flow of, of this lake. It's a tremendously big lake, and, and the cycle can even happen on one end versus the other. But I, I'm, uh, you know, fortunate enough to, to be around, I guess, long enough now to see a couple different cycles. And I remember in the late 90s, I was a, a fairly young kid, but I remember in the late 90s through about 2005, was some of the most incredible smallmouth fishing. It really didn't get talked about. I believe there was one bass megabucks or something where the jerk bait, the suspending rogue or Smithwick kind of got to be known, but, but the smallmouth fishing was incredible. Meanwhile, the largemouth fishing had really tapered off. And if you had a 13 or 14 pound bag of smallmouth or excuse me, largemouth, you, you, you had something. So you kind you see this constant ebb and flow again, about 2008 is when you saw the, the largemouth population really do well. You saw the smallmouth really go down, kind of take a back seat. So it's it's interesting to see. We can't seem to ever get both populations <laughs> right. really well, but where one always kind of lacks, the other seems to take its place. And right now, at least in the last 20 years, I've never seen anything like this. It's amazing. You can go 
to any dock, to any uh, brush pile, to any piece of wood. It, it doesn't seem like it matters where you go and you'll catch a 12 to 15 inch long smallmouth. So it's wow. really cool to see the lake in the, the, the position that it is. And, and on top of that, we do have, you know, a, a good up and coming uh, largemouth population. It's just we're lacking that three to six pound class. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it, you know, being around as well and, and fishing so many lakes and, and historical lakes, you know, nationally known uh, fisheries, you, you see those ups and downs. You know, some some are caused by, uh, you know, an invasive species or vegetation decline or, Correct. you know, there, there's a lot of different reasons why a fishery is going to go through those ebb and flows. I've seen it down here at Amistad when it was just ridiculous. And it got really good again in 2018, 19. And um, it's it's still pretty good now, but we haven't seen that crazy boom like like right. we did, you know, in the early 2000s. But uh, eventually, uh, like the stock market or anything else, uh, historically, things come back and, and regroup. So uh, we're probably going to see that again with Kentucky Lake. It's cool to hear how this is changing. We're going to dive into how this tournament set up for you, how you became a two-time Toyota Series champion there on Kentucky Lake in just a moment. But uh, we've got to uh, take a quick moment to thank Bass Pro Shops, a presenting partner of this feature angler spotlight segment of Bass Edge Radio. Bass Pro Shops reminding you we all live downstream. All right, Jake, uh, breaking down for us and understanding the way you took the crown on this uh, Kentucky Lake event just, just a week ago, sight fishing for bass you were seeing on your forward-facing sonar. How did the knowledge of this technique for you develop? Uh, you had a short practice period. I know you were excited to get the win with this short practice period as well. Um, but but give us a little bit of overview on how you developed the pattern that led to the win. Yeah, so it, it was really uh, kind of a cool um, storyline how it all worked out. Again, the, the tournament was out of uh, Kentucky Dam Marina, which is on the very northern end of the lake, the very lower end, but yet the northern end. And I live here in the, the Paris area, which is call it kind of the mid-lake section for the guys that aren't familiar with, with Kentucky Lake. Um, you know, roughly a 40 to 50 mile run somewhere in there. And, and, um, you know, months prior going into this tournament, I always just kind of assumed that I would run back to this general call it 20 mile section and, and kind of, I know every nook and cranny. And, and, uh, I feel like even when the fishing is tough, I, I knew looking when the schedule came out, I knew that this tournament would kind of fall in my favor to some degree is again, as long as I could still catch them, but I knew it was going to be fairly tough tournament, uh, with the exception of, uh, you know, TVA having the lake over summer pool that, that always helps. But this time of year, generally you're, you're right in that spawning window yet. We don't have quite enough water to put a lot of cover in the lake. So a lot of them will spawn on offshore cover or just uh, uh, down the gravel banks and in the in the backs of these little flat gravel pockets and um, in places that make it very difficult for us to be able to fish for them and again they're just not in that mood where they really want to chase a bait so it it, it makes it a little difficult Um, but it really kind of played right in my hands and I'd always envisioned coming down you know to the Paris area but call it 10 or 12 days prior to the tournament looking at the long-range forecast weather forecast it, it just didn't look 
uh, feasible, really. I mean, I, I know uh, the, the Floyds, uh, Cole and Steve Floyd did it. A few other guys did. But just looking long term, two of the three days looked awful uh any kind of run and uh and the third day was uh, an inch and a half of rain just no wind fortunately so i I planned uh to fish at least one day up there and let's see if we could uh build a game plan and and kind of really it evolved from the first 20 or 30 minutes uh being on the lake um it was not something that i had ever done you know this live scoping again this is what i do most every day uh, you know with with customers and, and and different people but as far as the live scoping for spawning bass that's i can't say that i've ever done it but i i'm not going to say that that i I know a tremendous amount about it i it was really kind of a cool way to win because i was learning as i was going you know i would i would see one on a a, on the side of a brush pile and and could tell she was spawning the way she would kind of act and spin around and and i would i'll never forget the first one i pitched by i was kind of figuring this whole spawning deal out and and, you know, uh, sometimes on a largemouth, to, if it won't act right, you can kind of bump her and right. ear, be, be rough with her a little bit uh, within reason. And, and so I thought, well, shoot, I'll try that on a smallmouth. But she freaked out and did not like it. And so I said, okay, I won't do that again. Let's not try to hit her. Uh, and, and so it was cool to learn kind of as I went, learn from my mistakes and learn from my successes. And, and to learn it on that area, uh, you know, I really spent the majority – uh, really the whole tournament from uh, 6880 Bridge to to the dam up there, which is not an area that I'm really familiar with. Uh, and that's, you know, probably jumping ahead here, but really what made this win so special, you know, the first one was in the summertime. Uh, the, the, the bass weren't really doing uh, the, the main river offshore stuff, but I understood what they were doing. And that was kind of, I felt like that was 15 years in the making. Like, I, I, <laughs> you know, um that was my tournament to lose so to speak but uh for this one to do it in in a manner that i I, i'm not extremely experienced with so to speak and and in an area that i don't fish a lot yet to be close enough to home for you know for the whole family to be a part of it was so cool it's so special and and i'm sure the next one i win will say is more special than this one but but right now i feel like it's gonna be pretty hard to beat they're all they're all special uh, for sure. Whether it's a Thursday nighter or a Toyota series, a Lee series, they all feel good, right? So uh, congratulations out there for you again. How deep were these fish, Jake? Um, you, obviously you're targeting smallmouth, a uh, little forward-facing sonar action. Uh, what, what's the general depth that, that you were finding these fish on the gravel bars and and kind of on these main and, and offshoot pockets with with that you know particular type of cover? The, the magic number was six, uh, six feet, but, uh, you know, I caught several and weighed several in the tournament in that four and five range. I weighed several, um, I don't want to say several, maybe two or three in that seven or eight range, but really six was the number. If I could find the right piece of wood in the right place uh, or, or generally close to the right place in six feet of water, there was going to be a bass on it. It was just a matter of how big. You know, I did, I was catching 25 to 35 a day, but I would have to weed through a lot of, you know, 14 to 16 inches, which again is a very, very good thing. Um, and I love to see on the, you know, on the lake. And um, so it, it, it was, again, um, you know, there was a pattern to it, but it was it was cool to be able to run new water. And I, there wasn't, the, the pattern was more, I guess, to kind of go into it. Um, you know, with smallmouth, they, they, traditionally like to stay fairly close to deep water uh but when they're spawning they need enough 
sunlight. So sure. you had to have this perfect mix of deep water, really, really close, um, but a, a kind of a shallow flat shelf, whether it was out in the middle of the lake and it'd be a five foot flat or uh, what I eventually kind of worked myself into was more bank oriented. Again, not on the bank, but just kind of a shallow flat shelfy bank that would come off and then drop into a secondary creek channel uh, from there. And it just allowed those smallmouth to, to cruise up and down that secondary. And as they were ready, they would kind of pull up on those little flat shelfy banks and whether it be a brush pile, a stump. Um, um, what was cool is in, in, in practice, I only had about two and a half days of, uh, of practice. I had a, a tournament actually on Pickwick um, the Sunday prior. So I, I kind of had a short practice. The wind was uh, excruciating all week. Uh, I, I, I give credit to anybody that stuck it out all, all week out there. It was a tremendous amount of work just to try to stay productive, you know, that kind of wind. And, and, um, so I, I didn't spend a tremendous amount of time live scoping, more or less just enough to kind of know there's some fish doing this. But I, I actually in practice found more fish and actually schools of fish on rock, whether it be one big, we don't really have natural boulders, boulders here. Right. I found one school on a, an old secondary channel marker. Like I know they do that up north, St. Clair and the natural lakes. First time I'd ever seen that here, but little uh, uh, channel swing points and, and, and things like that. I would find in little groups of them. And by the time the tournament rolled around and I really started live scoping and, and picking through these areas, I, I think a lot of them had scattered out and gotten on these isolated targets and really kind of settled down, squatted, uh, and, and started started their deal. Uh, so it was cool how the tournament evolved and and really, you know, as well as I do, that's really what it takes to, to win a multiple-day tournament is to kind of, if you're not ahead of them, you're right on kind of the leading edge. And, and you may not even know it at the time. Like I had yeah. no idea what was really going on until the tournament kind of developed. But but for that to happen, you know, is really what it takes to be um, where I was. You know, again, kind of that comfort. I didn't know where I was going to get my next bite, but I knew it was going to happen. Uh, yeah. And I knew it was going happen. So. We hear that all the time uh, from winners, uh, a developing pattern right so so critical in in a you know not all the time but a lot of times we, we hear about it. i didn't have the best practice kind of had a few clues didn't really know what i had found uh you hear those slogans or or, or those uh statements a lot from from uh you know folks that win multi-day events particularly i think maybe a little bit less on one day events but but uh, generally from a multi-day perspective um you'll see a lot of and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of one-day tournaments, I feel like you can win it off of a pot, an area, you know, yeah. small. But these, when you start getting into two and three and even four-day events, it, something's going to change. I mean, it, it's inevitable, you know, the, the whether it's water level or, or outside weather conditions, something will change to cause those fish to move. Generally, it seems like when I find, and I feel like this is what holds a lot of people back in, in tournament fishing and why we always tend to do so well in practice and maybe struggle or it always seems more difficult in the tournament is that we're fishing in practice at least speaking for myself i'm fishing for what they're doing right then right at mm -hmm. that moment and you hear that cliche fishing the moment all the time but yeah to kind of reiterate i feel like that's where and why a lot of practices seem to go a lot better than the tournament because you're by the time the tournament rolls around the weather has changed the water levels have changed right. Something is is not current, and you're not current with it. Now you're fishing, 
last Thursday Thursday's pattern or, or yeah. so it's a hard thing to kind of break loose of but uh, again with me guiding and I, I the way I purposely kind of schedule myself I'm never on a single lake more than uh, two or three days at a time and and it keeps me even though I'm kind of basically bouncing around the same five or six lakes I'm always looking for them I'm always and it's under the gun I mean I've got somebody standing there watching me and and <laughs> Go, you know, uh, see what this is all about. So it's uh, really been fun to um, kind of put myself in that tournament position, you know, going back to, you know, I haven't fished a lot of big national tournaments, but I, I've really put myself almost every day under the gun, so to speak. And it's really made me, it's really changed me as a fisherman. It's it's made me so comfortable. I mean, you, like you see a guy like John Cox and he loses a five pounder and it's like, dude, he laughs about it. He's very, <laughs> right it doesn't even bother him. And it's, it was, um, I, I've kind of learned that like it's uh, yeah, maybe not, certainly not to his caliber by any means, but it's, you just kind of roll with the punches and every day is going to throw you uh, some opportunities and it's up to you to capitalize and, and to see those opportunities and to, to hopefully kind of expand and run, you know, uh, forward with those. But, but, right. you know, to, to throw a tantrum and all that, it, it really doesn't help. I certainly yeah. had big missed opportunities in this one. Uh, that that would have made it a lot more fun, a lot less stressful on me. But they, it, and it's all fun. You know, a, a lot of what you say right there really, really makes me think of uh, Jay Lee, Jordan Lee. You know, MLF BBT angler. Uh, you know, you watch him on live. You see him uh, adjust quickly. You see him when he kind of gets into a rut. How he tries to move around and, and make those on the water adjustments, like you're talking about, being on the gun as a guide popping around at different lakes someone's over your shoulder jake teach me how you're doing this what is this knowledge you've got here that is uh so impressive so that i can try to duplicate what you're doing and and that's what you're showing those folks out there well i see jay lee do that all the time so it just kind of sparked sparked my interest and i think young anglers have a gift in that in that sense because they're they're definitely more open to uh, potential opportunity than an opportunity or, or something that they saw a day to a week prior to them being out fishing on a particular date. What about Jay Lee? I, and maybe he plays it off well. I, I remember uh, Matt and Jordan back in the, the college days, and we all had a big time. And, and uh, uh, Actually, what was just, I'm not going to get into the story, but one of the most mad I've ever seen my grandmother was right here, and this, this is the kind of the family uh, uh, lake house up here. And Jordan and Matt were a part of that mess, and it was not pretty. Uh, but but anyway, to get back to Jordan, uh, I swear the more clueless he pretends to be, the better he catches them. I, and I don't know if that's his act or or if he, but it just seems like he bebops around, and boy, he'll run into them somewhere. You know, it's yeah. it's you're right, and you see that from a lot of the younger guys. Um, and I don't know if that is just from us. I mean, again, I don't want to say we have more experience. Uh, but more experience at a younger age where we tend to be more open-minded and willing to gamble. I feel like the older, at least the older I get, I know the more reserved I seem to, you know, to Absolutely. be more hesitant. I, I am to, to, to make a gutsy call. I, a lot of these young guys never think twice about it. They never check up and just go do it. And that's really, you know, as well as I do, you really need to be able to fish with confidence. And if you don't feel like you're going to get a bite, you're probably not going to. And, and so a lot of that is, I don't want to say artificially, um, um, you know, manufactured, but to some degree, I think you do fish 
significantly better with that level of confidence that you don't know where that bite's going to come. You don't know when, but you know it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, man, this has been a great breakdown of that Kentucky Lake win. One, one other quick question I think is an important piece of information for listeners to understand is water temperature. How was the water temperature during the event? And, and um, you know, if if listeners are going out to, you know, their local lake, maybe it's got some smallmouth, um, they're looking, you know, maybe in some of these areas with their forward-facing sonar trying to take – your experience and, and duplicate it as, as oftentimes we, we all try to do in the world of bass fishing. Um, what was that water temp and, and how did you see those fish uh, relating to that and through your experiences out there on the water in Kentucky Lake? Correct. So the we've kind of had an interesting spring here. It's not been um, overly cold, but we've just had these... Um, you know, cool nights for an extended period of time. And it's, it gets warm during the day and we, we gain some ground, but we seem to lose it every night. And we've stayed, I want to say about uh, two weeks prior to the tournament, the water temperatures got up right around 70, 71. Uh, But by the time the tournament had rolled around, it was back in the mid sixties. And even I want to say the, the second morning of the tournament was in the low sixties. And so I, I, you know, I feel like, and again, I'm still learning. I'll be the first to admit, I'm still learning this smallmouth um, spawning deal here on Kentucky Lake. I, I've always kind of ignored them. Once they've gotten to that point, I've always just kind of swapped gears and and, and gone after uh, largemouth. So I, I don't claim to be any, uh, you know, expert when it comes to this. But but I feel like there were certainly some spawners or a wave of, of smallmouth that spawned call it three or four weeks ago when that initial water temperature got up there in the, the low to mid sixties. And we've almost just kind of had a second wave. And and from what I'm here and I've been doing trips other places and, and for crappie and other things, but it's just as good as what it was last week. Like they're still doing it. It's, it's crazy. It's just more and more fish coming up. Um, but, but long-term speaking, you know, one thing, uh, a piece of advice really regardless of the species or, or regardless of the time of the year what I like to do with live scope, especially when I'm looking for fish and, and in practice mode, so to speak, whether I'm practicing for a tournament or not, it's important, you know, if, whether we have three hours or, or three days on a lake, we need to get ourselves around them first and foremost. And, yeah. and that's what I really uh, use or, or utilize forward-facing sonar for. Without getting a bite, I can tell myself whether we're around them or, or not, and even just life in general. But uh, one thing that I can tell you that has helped me in the last year is, is to pick up a, a small little finesse swim bait, like uh, the one that I was throwing in the tournament. It's a little three point, I don't know if you can see that, 3.25 booty shaker. A lot of, there's a ton of little small finesse swim baits out there. It gets a ton of bites. Um, and one thing that's interesting when you're starting with forward facing sonar is, you know, we've always gone, you know, the, the Ben Parker motto, bigger, uh, batter, you know. <laughs> slides and all that but but when you realize that you can put it in a little bitty cube right above his head and fool him more or less give him an opportunity that he cannot pass up almost the smaller the more natural the better because again i'm presenting that bait to the fish i'm not calling that fish up to my bait i'm putting it exactly where it needs to be for him to have the most opportune uh you know place to to, to run up there feed on it sure I, I utilize a, a small swim bait a tremendous amount. And the reason is everything in the lake will eat it. So even when you see something, you go, I don't know what that is. You oftentimes can flick it over there and still catch it. 
identify what species helps you moving down the road, but you can cover a tremendous amount of water. And what I was doing both in practice and in the tournament is I was running the, the trolling motor up there about um, a mile, 1.2 to 1.7 miles an hour until I would either hit a fish or hit a piece of cover and, and put the brakes on, oftentimes power pole down and, and throw that swimmer over it. What was really cool about this tournament, again, I'm still learning, so maybe this is a normal thing, but um, again, I was out on the main lake, whether it be flats or these main lake kind of shelf uh, flats that come off the bank in, into that secondary creek channel. But if I threw my tube over there, if I would see a fish or, or see a piece of cover, a lot of times because they were spawning, you wouldn't see the fish. Um, be really tight. If it was a bigger stump or a, a bigger uh, limb, they would actually be sitting on top of it spawning. If the, it was a smaller, like a post-sized stump, they'd be sitting on the side of it. But you wouldn't see it until you threw your bait at it. Interestingly enough, I, a lot of those fish wouldn't get excited, wouldn't react to just my tube. Uh, I would actually have to throw that swim bait over it. And, and there were a lot of shad in that area. And, and I never really felt like I saw any bluegill. And I, I guess that can attest to this. But I would almost irritate that smallmouth by winding that swim bait over his head, uh, not trying to get it down there to him, but just trying to irritate him, even if it took three or four or five pitches. But you would see that fish from just being a, a blob sitting there to all of a sudden it would start flickering. It would start flashing. He would start getting excited doing donuts and that's when i knew if he still wouldn't eat my swim bait uh i could flick that little trick tube that jinko trick tube in there uh and oftentimes catch him but it, it was a really cool one-two punch uh i could cover water with that swim bait and, and again with live scoping uh it's almost a spot and stalk and and you're only going to have as many opportunities as you give yourself and to give yourself those opportunities you've got to cover enough water uh, and, and to drag a bait, you oftentimes see guys throw Nikos and um, little shaky heads and drop shots. And that's a great way to do it once you know that. I just encourage, as you're learning, it's a, uh, an easy bait to see on the, the screen. You can chunk and wind. It's not a real hard bait to fish. It's a great way to learn and cover water and even, again, just find them. Whether it's a, a different bait that you have to catch them on, you can locate them with that little swim bait. Man, Jake, that's uh, excellent insight for all the listeners. Appreciate you sharing that little tidbit of knowledge. And and uh, it kind of took me back when you were mentioning throwing that, um, you know, that tube in there at first and, and the fish would kind of disappear. Doesn't mean they weren't there, as you mentioned, um, but they just stuck to the bottom. And, and, and it kind of brought me back to the classic at Knoxville earlier this year with uh, Gussie. You know, Gussie using the moping technique or some of those big rocky uh, areas, little shelves, drop-offs. And oftentimes he didn't see the fish until they reacted to that bait. So it kind of kind they of relates. Up and you and you would see them, but it would take you throwing your bait over them to, to get them to show themselves. Exactly that was that's a great analogy. That's exactly what was happening. Sounds sounds like we're on to something. So uh, that, that's uh, that's great to hear, uh, Jake. Look, look, we're gonna get ready to kind of close this up a little bit, but man, I really think you've got some important insight to to uh, you know any angler that that's looking to kind of take it to the next step. First, you talked a little bit about your guiding, how much that's enabled you to continue uh, to evolve as an angler, hitting a lot of different lakes. Uh, have you been able to hit some national fisheries while while you're in this process? And and please give your guide service a shout out for folks that want to uh, get in on this this knowledge that you're sharing. Absolutely. the The best way to reach me is actually on Facebook. If, if you'll just message me there at uh, uh, on my personal page 
Um, and, and, you know, as far as, uh, it, of course, Jake Lawrence, um, as far as, you know, traveling, I, I've really stayed, I, man, I've got to get up north. I, this smallmouth deal is driving me crazy. I, I, <laughs> I trips planned. It just hadn't worked out, but I've primarily been, um, you know, from Texas, um, out Mississippi, Alabama. I just got back actually a couple days before my Pickwick tournament. I was at Chickamauga for a few days, uh, got to fish over there. So it's, uh, I, I'm getting to travel around a lot and see a lot of new places. And again, it's, um, you know, it's allowing for, for me to provide for my family in a, you know, in a, um, I guess a little safer manner than, than your, sure. your traditional tournament touring level. Um, and, and, but most importantly, it's allowing me to learn and build, um, through this process. And I, and I feel like that, you know, with some, uh, some, some very good things, some very fortunate things have, have, uh, you know, come my way and, and, uh, you know, things are developing. We'll see what happens in the, you know, in the next couple months, but we, we may be taking this thing, you know, a little further. I, I may be out there on the road with, uh, with you and some of the other guys. <laughs> so, so that's kind of what I wanted to hit on. Um, first, yeah, make sure everybody check out, uh, Jake Lawrence there on Facebook and, uh, find out about the, the service that he's providing out there. Electronics going to be an important part of everybody's game, obviously in the past and moving forward as it continues to evolve as we're, as we're listening to right now on Bass Edge Radio, but man, as a young angler going to college, um, you know, as we mentioned before, didn't fish many AAA events. We know there's a cost, as you just mentioned. There's a risk to this whole thing. Uh, you're doing things uh, what I would consider a little conservative, which a little, which is which is great. I mean, you know, to be overly risky is probably not smart as a young angler. Um, although some people can be a little bit more risky than others. Everybody's got a different position. We all know that. But um, Wait, as dude. you. Yeah, as you mentioned recently about taking this next step, what kind of advice can you give to uh, young anglers watching this podcast, looking up to Jake Lawrence, seeing how you know he was a part of this you know pioneering college scholarship situation, really got started you know ten years ago in that process, but still making his way to to this step that he's ultimately trying to achieve as as a, as an angler. I would say, you know, and, and again, this is somewhat cliche, but um, uh, forget the fishing for a minute. Um, uh, this is as much a sales position a, a, as it is anything else. Uh, and, you, you you know, a lot of the, the younger anglers, uh, maybe we don't, um, and not so much myself, but but you and, and, and some of the other guys, maybe we don't do as good of a job as maybe we should and, and relaying that to them this is a sales position there are people that are helping us do this uh and and by doing that they're expecting results they're expecting uh you know numbers to work in their favor so uh you know first and foremost obviously get an education a marketing degree or some sort of business degree is a a a great route it's a somewhat of a broad i learned a tremendous amount and i actually Fresh out of college, um, I actually went and sold insurance for a few years. I still got it. I had my my handful of uh, of customers that I catered to, and I, and I took care of throughout that. But it was a great learning experience, and I, I honestly, uh, I'm super thankful to have done that. I learned so much from working. I did that for I guess five or six years. Uh, had a lot of fun with it. It just man that that office gig uh, to spend the weekend <laughs> vacation out on the lake, and then to to show up Monday morning back at the office was, it got tougher and tougher. And, uh, 
So, but, but again, going back to that, I, I learned so much from that opportunity uh, and, and, and what we, you know, what I saw there, what I experienced there. And, and so I value the, the education first and foremost, the, the fishing side, um, it, it's an incredible amount of work. You, you've really got to have a strong passion when you say, you know, you eat, sleep, breathe it. My family's got stories for days, all the little goofy, silly things I've done, skipping proms and doing this and that for a, a $200 jackpot tournament or something crazy. You know, it's, it's you've got to be eaten up with it because you're going to be able or, or rather going to have to make sacrifices and your family's going to make sacrifices uh, for you. And and so, um, you know, the, the fishing side, I really feel like is is honestly the easy as long as. Uh, you know, you put your head down, spend a tremendous amount of time at it, understand and know going in that you're never going to know it all. You're, there's always going to be the next chapter and something else to learn there, even every day. Um, but but really to take the business side of it. And and to be honest with you, I'm learning on that side more, more so than I am the fishing side. I, I'm not as present as I should be on social media. I stay so busy uh, and stay on the lake. And I've got two young boys and, and uh when I get in, shoot, I, I enjoy time with them and, and um, I, I need to, you know, ramp myself up on that. And I'm probably going to in the next couple of months. So right. Look forward to that in the in the coming months. But to spend time out on the water uh, and, and to learn that side of it, but to, to get a good education and to know that first and foremost, really, this is a sales position and, and you're there to sell product, you know, and and, and to hold yourself, uh, you know, to that standard. So awesome I look stuff. forward to to what's coming in the future. It's, it's looking good. I'm, in, I, I'm excited for it. Well, Jake, Jake, uh, all of us are looking forward to it. Jake, you've been uh, such a great guest here on the show, man. I appreciate you uh, so much taking the time out. Uh, any final clothing, closing thoughts before we take a quick break and I come back for a few final thoughts here on Bass Edge Radio. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to, uh, you know, to have me on here. We've known each other for, uh, for a, a long time, we need to get together and, and, uh, and oh, one day I'd love to, uh, love to dial your stuff in and see what kind of things we can learn from each other. And, and, uh, but man, thank you for the opportunity. And, and again, I, you know, the, the lake here, Kentucky Lake, we, we've kind of gotten a, a little bit of a bad reputation, but I, I want everybody to know that even though this tournament weight wise, you look on down the list, it, it really didn't show itself but man this lake is coming on really strong i mean i know the smallmouth kind of showed their side of it but there are a ton of largemouth in this lake and had we not really landed on that that little spawning window uh, where we didn't have any cover to you know to, to throw at we would have seen a lot better weights but but i couldn't have asked for it to turn out any better obviously and and again anytime uh that you need anything or or uh, anything like that i'll be more than happy to help you Absolutely. It always, it always seems like uh, those TVA lakes, man, they need they need a little water for those uh, largemouth to get up in there and, and start spawning. It's like it's like they know. It's like they know. I've seen it a lot on Chickamauga. I've never really been able to fish Kentucky Lake a whole lot in the early spring, but I've uh, been there in June, of course, when, when we used to go there all the time. Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. We'll get together out there, Jake, for sure, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone has uh, really enjoyed the knowledge and information as much as I did today on this interview. Um, Y'all stay tuned. We've got some final thoughts here with Bass Edge Radio. Jake, thanks again. Take care. 
We'll see everybody in just a minute. Jake, good luck in your future. We'll keep watching you. Nitro, a rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champion, where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast, a pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion within. Nobody wants to run out of power when they're on the water. There is a better way. Introducing the Charge Marine Power Management Station from PowerPole that does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system. PowerPole Charge. Hello, hello. Let's get that dual screen out of here. <laughs> there we go. All right, we're back here on Bass Edge Radio. Wow, man, that was uh, that was deep. We had two pretty dang good segments to this episode. Man, Rick Harris coming in for that showcase segment, talking about the little things. Man, a, a lot of great fundamentals. I think oftentimes some information that that we're really not we're really taking for granted. Right. Um, so uh, matching all of those different things he talked about, man, the the, uh, the the line scenario, the hook scenario, the stance. Man, that's definitely something I see a lot where where an angler is not squared up correctly to set the hook properly or, um, you know, they're fishing, you know, out off of a, a shoulder or, you know, they're just not ready to set the hook and, and be able to fight and land the fish. So um, I thought that was uh, some really nice information from, from Rick Harris, obviously, there in that uh, showcase segment. Then, man, Jake, dude, breaking it down for us. Uh, he admitted, you know, he's learning. We're all learning this this forward-facing sonar deal. And um, I think the biggest key to that is the developing pattern. And this can happen for an angler at any time. Uh, we go back to the, the intro to the show. We talked about Kelly Jordan winning the MLF at Lake Ufala in Oklahoma. He was down by six pounds. We talked about Drew Benton coming out of 10th place to win the Lake Murray Elite Series event. Um, man, you're never out of it. And, and if you can just go out there and keep trying to figure it out every day, you can develop into the pattern that's going to make you successful and be able to have a great day of fishing out there. You just got to keep looking at the fundamentals, putting those uh, seasonal behavior pattern, those parts, pieces of the puzzle together, um, utilizing your electronics, um, and uh, just becoming more knowledgeable about all of the things on your boat that can help make you successful. Rick again said those controllable variables. So uh, love, love talking about that and uh, making sure I implement that into my own bass fishing as well as you should too. So um, again, big shout out to uh, Jake Lawrence. Man, uh, let, let's jump on his social media. Let's watch Jake progress. Uh, I don't know how many anglers are 50-50 in uh, Toyota Series events. Fished four Toyotas, one, two. That's uh it's pretty awesome, and uh, his guide service there uh, looks like it's it's teaching him 
uh, you know, over the years as much as it's teaching us clients because uh, it's an ever-evolving, changing game. I really like the way that he is going to different lakes constantly throughout his guiding process so that he's always looking at something fresh, which is the same perspective his client is having or us as anglers are, are realizing as we go to different lakes uh, whether fun fishing or tournament fishing, and uh, trying to put that puzzle together. So, so that's that's cool to see. I'm gonna tell you what uh, events coming up in this uh, first part of May uh, until our next episode. We've got the uh, Bassmaster Opens uh, out there. They're gonna be on Bugs Island Lake in Virginia. Not a fishery that we've seen uh, on the national scene for many many years. It used to be a staple back in the 90s. So it's going to be neat to watch that. Um, they've got Shad and Heron out there and uh, see how that is going to affect that that uh, tournament in the Bassmaster Opens. Can can Ben Milliken go back-to-back? Can he go back-to-back top 10s? Actually, it would be back-to-back-to-back top 10. So that'll be fun to watch. MLF Invitationals at Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. Could be a sight fish extravaganza. Uh, the cool thing about Lake of the Ozarks there in Missouri is that lake is just chock full of bass. So you know they're going to rock them and catch them there. You got the uh, Toyota Series Southern Division uh, headed down to Lake Eufaula. Should be a strict offshore deal. That's going to be fun to watch. Could be some uh, bluegill spawning, a little bit of shallow. If you go back to the Elite Series event that happened there several years ago, um, there was a lot of shallow fish caught, but uh, it'll be fun to watch and see how that thing goes down. Then finally, the Elite Series, after concluding this event at Santee, only have a week or so, uh, I guess it's two weeks off, and then they go straight to Lay Lake in Alabama, um, a, a site we've seen some classics. Uh, we have seen a couple opens there, but uh, I can't remember the last time. Maybe we saw an E50 uh, way back, maybe 2006 or seven, uh, that, that took place on Lay Lake there in Alabama. A river run system, should be some spotted bass in play, of course some largemouth, so uh, be sure you check into all the uh, AAA and national bass fishing action that's coming up. Uh, gotta remind you before you go, make sure you comment below. Let us know what you like to hear on the show, uh, obviously on our YouTube or your favorite social media streaming platform. Uh, maybe it's iTunes or Podbean, so many places that were available out there. But we'd love for you to rate the program, tell us what you think, leave us a comment. Um, Thanks again, obviously, to Jake Lawrence, Rick Harris, making this a great episode. Be sure to tune back with Bass Edge uh, on our YouTube channel or streaming May 15th. Again, if you hit that subscribe button, you won't miss another great episode here of Bass Edge Radio and Bass Edge Podcasts. Um, brought to you by, of course, MegaWare Keelguard. And uh, you can shop online at BassEdge.com. You want to get some cool merch. Uh, you can see some of the cool merch right here in the background. we got got hats and uh, we've got some shirts as well. So uh, make sure you uh, take a peek there if you'd like to uh, get some Bass Edge Radio swag. But um, man, thanks again uh, also to Nitro Performance Bass Boats, Power Pole, and of course Bass Pro Shops bringing you bass edge radio man if it wasn't for those folks we wouldn't be here right now so uh, happy to have them all involved uh lastly 
As my previous co-host, Aaron Martin, would always say so elegantly, we will see you next time. So long, everybody, from Bass Edge Radio. Adios! <laughs>